ready to receive today. Appreciate your, your, us being like-minded. People who are definitely have a desire. I want to thank my son Josh for getting me an extra long straw today. Good job, son. And to have the desire to, and the same purpose, to be like-minded, have the same judgment. You know, this morning I uh, was meditating some before the service and, and thinking about a lot of different things of, of, in the world that we live in today and, and the challenges that we have. You know, I have, uh, I, I'm always wanting to be an example and a light and, and uh, I always have people on the line that I'm trying to, to share the gospel with. I think we have that responsibility, you know, uh, especially the people that we love. We need to warn them. We need to tell them. And sometimes it's <clears throat> difficult to do that because they don't, they don't care about hearing it. You know, and I'll tell you why. Because they've already got their Jesus jarred up and put on the counter in the root cellar. I was raised around years ago where people used to can goods. I mean, you know what this is, get a mason jar, you know, and, and they would, what do they call that? Canning. Huh? Canning, canning goods or whatever. And, and uh, so they would have it, and that's what they would eat maybe during the wintertime. It came from farming and all that, you know, pickles and beans and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, most people, you know, I, I have an opportunity uh, to be around some people that, uh, that are horse people. And I mean, man, that horse industry, I, it blows me away. It blows me away how much it costs. You know, friends of mine tell me how much it costs to have one horse. I mean, it's just thousands and thousands of dollars. He said that he had a horse that he bought in Kentucky, and before he could even get it to Ocala, it went to the hospital three times, and he had a $30,000 bill on that one horse. So I'm like, okay, I don't want a horse. And there's people that, that I see and share with and develop some type of relationship that I, of course, have an ulterior motive because I'm, I'm fulfilling the purpose of God in my life and let my light shine in preaching the gospel. And, uh, and the difficulty is telling somebody they need to repent and they don't see any need to repent. Repent of what? They've already got their Jesus settled with. Oh, yeah, no, he, I, they'll, they'll name this pastor's name or preacher they had in the past, and they went to a church in the past, and they did this, and they had their experience of, of asking Jesus to come in their heart and pray the sinner's prayer. And uh, it, it's kind of like they got their GED. You know, I got my GED. I, you know, you say, hey, had you, did you graduate? And congratulations to Lizard, Elizabeth. She graduated, she what? Secondary education, and what honors? Magnum cum laude. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? He graduated, oh my Lordy. And I graduated, oh thank Lordy. Thank the Lordy. So, you know, they get their GED and they're like, okay. And they just don't see any reason to repent. They need nothing. These people that, some of the people I know and most people in America, they don't really need anything. They want a bunch of stuff, but they don't really need anything. And they don't need to confess their sins because there's nothing wrong anymore. There is nothing wrong anymore. So there is no sins, you know. One of the things Yahweh is saying to us at this time is about, the, about being under authority. To be in your role and live by the rules that Yahweh has designed for your role. 
And we all have a role and a rule and rules to, provide, uh, to, to live by. And we talked about last week that any authority that is not representing Yahweh's will, his desire, his way, and his purpose is not authority. When somebody comes to me who says they're an authority over me, that, number one, I, I kind of twinge a little bit about that. Because authority is not something that I have to, that is a word that includes dominance. It includes responsibility and protection. Laying down your life for. Being accountable for. So, but, but when somebody comes, and I talked about house number one, house number two, house number three. And I said, look, if your husband wants to come at you and be the authority, a spiritual authority in your life, and what he's requiring of you is not scriptural, and it's not what God's will and purpose and way is, you, you don't have to submit to it. If your husband comes to you and says, I want you to go rob that Jiffy store right there, I'll wait in the car. What do you tell him? No. I'm the head of you. I'm the authority. No, no, you're not. Because the only authority you have is God's authority. The Bible says there's no authority in the whole earth except from God. And if you have to make somebody submit to your authority, trust me, you got none. Amen? I talked about house number three even. I said, listen, if I, who am the government in this house, and, and you come under my authority, if I tell you something that's not true, don't submit to it. You do not have to submit to the authority of somebody that's making up their own stuff. So Yahweh's doing this as he is getting us in that position where we reset the angels of the Lord came, separate the wheat from the tares, and he's given us an opportunity to do certain things that we won't be bundled up with the tares. He's given us an opportunity to reset, to be regrafted in, to bear fruit. You know, it, that kind of authority isn't to be, does not, is not required to be sit, uh, submitted to. And I'll tell you something else about that kind of authority. It's powerless. There's no authority. There's authority over things that we should have authority over, but we're not representing Yahweh's authority, which is what flows through Yeshua to us, our husband. We don't submit to that, and then we expect our wives to submit to us when we're, not, when we're substituting and not representing what God says. See, Yahweh's house. I was thinking about this the other day, and I wrote it down. I said, Yahweh's house is where a people submit and come under the right hand of God. And the people live by the rules, regulations, and laws of his government. And it preaches the kingdom of God. Listen, not a social gospel. America, they're just preaching a social gospel. I don't even want to get off on that today. I don't know what the word means in the Hebrew, but it irks me. It gives me the feelings that Elvis Presley had watching Robert Goulet on television when he took a 357 and shot the TV. But it appeals to the carnal man. It appeals to the flesh. But Yahweh's house teaches a gospel. It teaches people how to be a citizen in Yahweh's kingdom. It represents and enforces Yahweh's government and therefore requires Yahweh's life choices for us. It discloses and promotes the life Yahweh wants for you. It takes up its cross when your will crosses God's will. And you and I choose Yahweh's will every time. That's God's house. That's being under God's government and God's authority. It's the church that yields itself to all the scriptures. A church which obeys God and which has the spirit, mind, and attitude of Yeshua, who is the head and is living in its members by the spirit word. In the Bible that I read, see, I, I, I don't think, I don't look at Samson as being a great hero. 
I think he's a sellout. He didn't have to live that way. I don't look at as, uh, Solomon as being this great man. He has a life that I want to learn from. I don't want to wind up like him. He had everything. It was his ruin. And he finally said it was vexation and va vanity and vexation of spirit. Everything is. That makes him smart to me. He, Yahshua, man, he made these great demands. He kept requiring more and more, and he still does that today. And Yahshua made hard statements. I know some people don't like when I say, look, Yahshua wasn't that nice. But we renamed him. We re, uh, redid and revised what he taught, what he believed, what the whole gospel was. And, and we made him this little sweet guy. When I read the Bible, I didn't think he's that sweet. He's not that nice. And I was always said, I went back to the word nice and its roots in the very beginning of what the word uh, morphed out of. And it means stupid. He wasn't that nice. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be called nice either. Johnny's a nice guy. If that means stupid. Yahweh's house, we're not trying to act like anybody. When Yahshua's speech and what he said and the way he lived, listen to this. He made most of his disciples go back to the lives that he had led before. Most of his disciples left him because of the way he was and the demands he put on people's lives. And we're not trying to, we shouldn't be trying to be like, act like, look like, dream like, live like, or win the favor of the world. We're never going to win the world as long as we need them to be our friends and befriend the world and want to be like them. If we want to be like them, why do they want to be like us? They're already like what we're wanting to be like. When I put this on Facebook, I put, look, Yahweh's house is the place to die to your flesh. And when you're ready to come to the end of your life, come visit me at Ecclesia Life Funeral Home and Mortuary. No appointments necessary. So you go to a hospital, the Bible says the church should be a hospital. I think what it should be, I, should, I think it needs this. I think it needs to be a funeral home and a mortuary. Because all during the week, we're, we're enticed. We've been, we've been identified in the death, burial, and resurrection of Yahshua. We die to ourselves. We crucify ourselves. We die daily. And that old, that old boy will try to raise its head and, ra and, and raise up from the dead. And what we want to do, when we come to church, part of what we need to do is Hit that dude on the, with a shovel on top of the head so he'll get back in that grave because we're supposed to die of the flesh. Now, I, I've always realized that's not a popular message, but it will be one day. It will be the only day that's going to matter in your life ever. People are so confused these days, man. Men want to be women and women want to be men. I talked about it last week. It's a mental illness, and I don't think Society or anybody else needs to have or should have to change to accommodate their insanity. But Yahweh, in this illustration, and I think I've used last week, is in the church and in people's lives, they don't want to, they want to identify as something different than what God, God's role and the rules he gave them operate. People want, don't want to operate in that. They don't want to be under the authority of God-given, ordained, sanctioned, House number one, house number two, and house number three. What's happening in the world today with sin and those kind of things, let me tell you this. If you don't discredit it, your children will accept it. Just, it's just going to be a matter of what it is. And if we don't discredit it to ourselves and discredit the things that are happening, I think last week, I, uh, uh, excuse me, I used the, the, uh, uh, the term of, of spousal transpouse is what I used. We want to, we want men, women don't want to submit to their husbands. And they got all these reasons why. 
the individual don't want to submit to the government of God in their everyday life and what their actions are, their thoughts are, and, and their attitudes are. And house number three, uh, three, people don't even want to come to that, that house in general. We don't need church anymore, but they don't understand the concept and the ways that God said. And, and what they do, they wind up forming their own religion. And it's the same old religion, and they're Trinitarians. They worship me, myself, and I. The fact is, God decides the roles in our life, and he di- decides the rules of your role. And if we must accept it. Whether you like it or not, that's just how it is, and you're not going to change it. You can think you're changing it, but you're not changing it, and we suffer the consequences of going against and moving out from under the authority of God's protection and responsibility for us. I've had people tell me before, well, look look what's happening in my life. Just think what would happen if you weren't under the protection of God. You don't know. Yeah, I know that's bad, but what would have happened if you weren't under the protection of God? I have a feeling that because of the mind is so important that when, when, we are, when we are punished, I shouldn't say punished, when we self-inflict ourselves with refusing to serve God and we stand before God and get rejected by Him on that day, I, I don't know that you're going to need anything physical like a burn, real burning fire. I think the worst pain is mental anguish. I've had pain in my life before. I've never been burned in a fire, but I've had severe pain. But there's nothing worse than mental anguish, mental torment. And I think we just may go to a place where we just get mentally tormented. It overcomes us. And we have a precursor of it today when we don't have the peace and the joy that God's provided under his way and his order and the way his life flows to us. And when we reject that, and we want to do it our way, then we get the very thing that we decided, and to, uh, decided to have, and that's our results. And I'm going to tell you what, you and I can't change nothing. You ever seen somebody go on a diet before? I know guys are going on diets, you know, man, they, and then you see them two years later, and they're twice as big as they were before they went on the diet. And I appreciate so much that people have the ability and the willpower in their life, but it never does change this It's a full-time, 24-7 day to fight this. And a lot of what we do on the outside is a motivation from the deficit that we've had. And we're driven. It's like a successful guy who may have the Napoleon syndrome. He's a little guy. He's very successful because he's driven to prove himself. And he never can enter a place of rest. Yahweh established these immutable spiritual laws that if they are obeyed, listen close, They will produce happiness and love in marriage and in all other human relationships. But if we break these laws of God, it will guarantee unhappiness and misery and the loss of power and unanswered prayer. I'm talking about marriage a little bit, but I'm listening. It's all marriage. The whole thing is marriage. Marriage is nothing but a a thing that God created so you could look at it and see that that's what he wants in house number one, number two, and number three. It's really all about house number three and us becoming married as one body. To the degree that we accept God's government is the degree to which we're converted and changed from our natural carnal-mindedness carnal, uh, to the mind of God and the spirit word of God. I see people all the time. Recently, Bebby and I were in someone's home. People, worldly people, I call them that. Love, some of them I really dearly love and all that. But, but they, 
they have no clue of spirituals. And at the time, don't want them, but you see the frowns on their faces, even though you see them trying to have something, get something out of life, even though they have millions and, how, uh, how would I put this, uh, national notoriety in the movie industry, those kind of people. The fact remains that to be carnal-minded is dead, and you will not get a God result by refusing to cheerfully do things God's way. Now, I want you to hang on with me. If there's cancer in your body and you go to the doctor, well, let me just tell you this story real quick. When I went to the hospital, everybody thought, uh, before I had my heart surgery, they thought it was my blood pressure. And I was just about to be, after four days, and been in the hospital b before that, all these tests, four days in the hospital testing, testing, testing me. They were about to send me home so I could learn how to do uh, what, 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 Lamaze. You know remember what Lamaze was? You have natural childbirth. And you <laughs> This doctor, this resident doctor of the hospital was teaching me how to breathe. Okay, when your blood pressure gets high, you got to just <laughs> He said like a sniper. Get that heartbeat down. Well, this lady came in there and she was checking me. She was from the, the heart uh, surgery place there, the heart center of Ocala, whatever. And she said, and I mean, they were just fixing the I got my last breath lesson. I was fixing to get my clothes and go home. She said, you, you have a, a murmur and you have a, a calcified aortic valve. you got a bad valve, huh? So that's why I was passing out and going like this. And that's why I'd be walking and fall on the ground, you know. Is that why? It, it what my blood pressure? Hey, how many times I've been there and doctors tell me to keep giving me blood pressure medicine. It wasn't even my blood pressure. That made me mad. Would it make you mad if you had cancer and you go to check for your cancer and they're doing an ingrown toenails procedure on you? Let me tell you this. I preach against sin because we got a problem and nobody even believes in it anymore. Let me talk to you about some things that we can be successful in this life in the midst of all this stuff. We can't refuse to cheerfully do it God's way or we're not going to be cheerful and we'll struggle and have the burden of trying to make things happen for our own selves the rest of our lives. See, that man is to be responsible for and protect his wife. And she shouldn't have pressure on her because she knows she's under authority from a man who's under authority. House number one, we should cast all our, know how to cast all our cares upon our, our uh, uh, Yeshua. And live in peace and joy and rest knowing he can take care of us. The fact is the man is called to lead. And if you want to hear more about that, listen to last week's message. There's some people out of town and stuff, and I told some of them, look, don't, no, don't neglect that, this word. Paul traced it back to the pre-fall in the garden. He said, look, this is how it was. And this is my opinion of this, okay? I believe God made male and female. He created them. I think there's a possibility that when God made Adam, in Adam was the qualities and characteristics of male and female. Not sexual organs, but I'm talking about the characteristics and qualities. And as I always used to say, you know, the puppy dog tail thing and the sugar and spice thing. The female, male created he them. And then at a time, God put Adam in a deep sleep and he take, took out of Adam those female qualities. And those together reign in life together, and they become one. They, the puzzle fits perfectly, a man and a woman, an Adam and Eve, not an Adam and Steve, as they say, or Eve and Louise. And, and what happens is 
They were one, and they submitted to the government of Yahweh as one. They, it was almost like there was only a house number one, and they were together. They were one. They moved together as one. They, everything, they had all things in common. They had the same mind, the same judgment, same desire, same goals, same love for God, and they submitted to the authority of the Elohim in the garden. And then, of course, what happened is Eve decided to move out under the headship and out from and out under the submission to the authority that God placed them under for their what? Be somebody responsible and to protect. Y'all, I think my iPad got what you got the jumpies. All right, sorry, hang on. All right, so then what? So what happened is she got outside of Yahweh's law and she believed Yahweh was this. Listen. When you're out from under the authority and you start distrusting, then she believed that Yahweh was withholding something from her. Wait a minute. What are you, what are you not, what am I not getting here? Where, where, what am I not getting? You get that? I'm getting, what am I not getting here? And of course, she listened to the, the carnal mind, the serpent. And what happened is something that I'm going to talk about a little bit today. I'll never finish this today. I probably told my wife, I'm probably going to take me three weeks. And I'm going to be sensitive to that and not try to preach three weeks today. Okay? Amen. I thought so. I don't want to keep you all from the China buffet. So here she is, and she began to develop something. What are you withholding from me? What about me? You forgot about me? Let me tell you what the word is. And I've talked about it. Today's message is called free babysitter. I'm going to talk to you about something I talked to you about before because I think it's one of the biggest problems that we have that's going to rob us from getting a well done. It's called self-pity. Now, I know what pity is, and that's a, there's, a, there's a good pity. Self-pity ain't good. She came out from under the authority of God in her life. She took another role. She didn't go by the rules. And she was deceived. Whenever you're out, out from under the authority that God has placed in your life, you have the potential to be deceived. Heck, even when we're under authority, our carnal man will deceive us. And so what does she do? She began to influence Adam. The Bible says one of the reasons the woman isn't the head, number one, because Adam was made first. Number two, it's because she was deceived. His problem was this. He wasn't deceived. He willfully chose to sin. So I think that knowingly and willfully, she influenced Adam. So Yahweh said, okay, Adam, you, this is what you want to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you responsible. I'm going to make you responsible for your wife. So from now on, you're responsible. It's your job to protect her, and it's your job to to. Uh, be responsible for her and it's your job to teach her it's your job in other words us rather than us appealing to the popular culture and the whims of the day and see uh, to see how we should order our lives this is what the word Yahweh gave me last week that the husband and wife need to be put back in their place and Yahweh is attempting to put us back in our place I got to tell you when I saw when I read the, the the scripture about a woman needs to be silent I think helps ministry should always be silent. House number one, the spirit is the authority, and the flesh, the carnal mind, is helps me. And, and your flesh just needs to shut up. What the word really means is this, though. It means 
get in the right chair. You're sitting in the right, wrong chair. To be silent means you need to get in the place that God put you in. You need to be put in your role. And that goes for the man and the woman. Now, I want to tell you, years ago, we had a big dance recital here. And this lady that came to our church, we were very good friends. Very, if I told you her name, you would know them very much. And so I had reserved some seats right up here for a couple of people that were busy doing stuff for the church and was going to get here a little late, and I reserved two chairs right over there. Put reserve signs on it. This lady walked right up there, and she just put those things on the floor and sit her fanny down right there. So my son Jonathan said, hey, so-and-so's sitting in that chair. I said, well, just to, to, maybe she didn't see it. Just ask her to, to leave. He said, huh? I had a little issue with this family because the husband sat down with me and began to talk to me. And so I said, look, I'll, I'll help you with this marriage because it was so out of order. It was so out of order. And so when we finally met after that whole thing, she ran out of the church mag, got in her car. Her husband was trying to get in the door. She ran off and drove off and left him in the street. Beautiful woman. Her husband was very sweet, kind, wonderful guy. I loved them both with all my heart. But let me tell you this. I blame him as much as her because evidently he hadn't earned the respect spiritually in that home. And he had a big, a big job to do. That's for, I'm not talking about bossing here. We're not talking about dominance. We're talking about living in the road. I go to my office uh, later that week. They came in, and, and I began to address some things, and she called me a liar. I said, well, I'm just telling you about what your husband has told me the last time we met. That's what he said. And she went, her glasses went down like that, and she looked over at that, on that couch. She looked at him like that. And he looked at me and said, that's not true. I never said that. I said, this meeting's over. This meeting's over. Y'all don't want to be real and honest about it. And you know what? They never came back to our church. I'm talking about people, y'all, that were deep in this. I, if I told you, it, it wouldn't surprise you because you know her. You knew her. Am I talking bad about her? No. I love her. Breaks my heart. Let me, you know, I know people have loss in their life. I, I've had loved ones that lost, you know, and that passed away and all that. Man, that's, that's, that's hard. But there's another thing. I've, had, I've lost son, spiritual sons and people in my life that are still alive. People who've been divorced know that feeling. That ain't a good feeling. That's hurtful. There's all kind of hurt in life. And I'm not comparing any of them. I'm just saying that, that I don't love them or didn't love them. I'm telling you that most people don't want to cheerfully come under the mighty hand of God. I don't want to tell you the end result of their lives, but it isn't it, 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 a beautiful thing. Let me just put it that way. I want to talk to you about the main reasons people get deceived and insanely, insanely out of their mind move out from under the Yahweh's authority in house number one, two, and three. Many people get stuck in past events. I mean, we get stuck in those past events and we relive it so much that we become, uh, become addicted by emotional looping that has taken over their mind and life. Let me tell you what looping is. In, in music, Ed Sheeran, is that his name, the redheaded dude? Ed Sheeran, he'll come up, he'll do this. And I've seen guys do it, you know, in, in smaller venues. And they have this, this recording machine. And they'll press the record and they'll say, Stop it. And play it back. It's a loop. Do, do, do. Do, 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 do. And so then, guess what? They play that and they put, record something else and they do the bass line. Boom, 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 boom. Now he's got a loop. 
and he just keeps building on it. And he'll just sing to it. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. This guy does it in front of thousands. You ever seen him, Julie? It's just amazing what he does. But we have these emotional loops and think, uh, thought loops that's taken over our mind because we're addicted now. Every day, reliving the past, repeating the same pattern of thoughts, then these things produce beliefs, and those beliefs dictate our feelings. And our feelings determine how we act. The hurts of the past, man, is a place of darkness. It's a night, a night that never sees the light of day. And it can produce anger that can mutate into resentment and bitterness. It breeds one of the most dangerous enemies of our getting eternal life and a well done. I got to tell you, everybody's past is darker than others, worse than others. Some, But when it's your problem that's affected you, there's nobody else's problem that's worse than the one that affected you. Can you agree to that? Maybe in reality it is, but it still has that power. I believe that it's a playhouse for those who, whose past damaged their self-image somehow. And many people that I have seen in my life, because of those things, it causes them to live the life out of some abasing life that they think they deserve because the event makes them feel sub-something. When you feel a certain way about yourself, you will create a life that reflects that. If you think you're worthless, you will make choices and you will do worthless things to yourself. <clears throat> if you think you're of old value, you may uh, uh, self-afflict yourself with cutting and all those kind of things that are harmful to you. Or do something stupid and through a relationship with somebody you should have never been with. But because subconsciously you think bad about yourself, that took place because of something that happened in your past, it affects your future. And this kind of thing is usually accompanied with their, their friends. What's that, Johnny? Seclusion, alcohol, drugs, food, distrust, loneliness, unworthiness, devalued, etc., etc., etc. They begin to look alike. They begin to have the same, these people have the same attitude, the same dispositions. It's one big, sad, miserable party. Let me tell you how crazy it is. I want you to listen to me real closely. I've seen people dysfunctional because of parental abuse. Is that fair to say? I've seen people abused and have a bad image of themselves because their daddy or stepdaddy or mama or stepmom or somebody in authority over them abused them, and they were alcoholics. Their actions were the result of being an alcoholic. And they got drunk all the time, and guess what? Abused those children or that wife or that husband or where it may be, and abused them. And it put them in a place of dysfunction that makes them think so bad about themselves. They make life decisions that's harmful to themselves, subconsciously even. Well, I'm just going to... Do this, or I'm just going to do that. Thinking they're in rebellion, well, they are. But they're damaging their own self. Am I, am I making sense so far? But, but listen to the, the, the damnedest thing. I have to say it like that. Sorry if I offend people. So what do they do? They drink alcohol. They turn to the very thing that was the catalyst of their own dysfunctional family. And so I think you're stupid if you're doing that. So what, I, what are you going to do now? You're, I'm going to start drinking now. Well, just like your daddy did, who slept you and your mama and your brother around and sisters and 
family? You're going to drink alcohol after that? Your mama so drunk, she abused and didn't even show up and wouldn't cook or clean house or anything and, and did those bad things to you. And you're going to now drink alcohol and get drunk? It blows me away, but I'm not surprised because when you're out from under authority, you're going to get deceived. And that's the depth of deception that I think is insane. Are you all with me today? sad part of it to me is this. People get so stuck in the past, they lose the ability to have intimacy with those in the present. I'm so much fellowship with that past and hey, well, the way it was, you know, when I was a kid, man. I remember when I was a kid. I remember when I was a teenager. I remember when I was a football star. Well, what, who'd you play for? Oh, we just played in, in, on the playground. We played in the front yard. But man, you don't have any touchdowns I got in that front yard. We have to become the own, our own agent of change. Or we're going to remain stuck forever. I say this, call on Yahweh today. All right, that was the opening. There's five categories, according to psychologists. And I like psychologists because I can use their terminology and, and people think I'm smarter than I probably really am. But I know the truth when I see it. And I think it's a good way to communicate to us. Now, I'm going to say this, and I don't want to offend people. But I know a lot of people who are loser believers. They're losers. Why? Mainly because of all the things I'm talking about right now. Does that mean you're I'm a bad person? No, it means you're not winning. It means you're losing. But you don't have to lose. The race isn't over yet. Somebody say hallelujah. Number one is hysteria. It includes fear, worry, anxiety, panic, confusion, irrationality. The next one's hatred. It includes anger, bitter jealousy, loathing, animosity, vulnerability to imagined insults or injury, implacability, malice, tantrums, violence, etc. I'm going to tell you what. All psychology is doing here is he's describing sin and the effects of sin. Self-centered, which includes self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption, egotistical irrationality, hypersensitivity, and insensitivity. Reaction. It combines the sins of arrogance with the emotional complex of sins. Jealousy, bitterness, vindictiveness, hatred, vilification, abusive language, malice, revenge, motivation, and operation, inordinate ambition, and competition. Guilt, the feeling of responsibility or remorse for some real or imagined offense. It's caused by repression, denial, projection, manipulation, and weak people can manipulate strong people with their guilt. You know what? I read that and I'm like, and people think I talk about sin? I sure don't break it down that much. But what it does... It identifies the different emotional areas because uh, there's, two categories. there's two categories of sin. There's some sins that we're aware of. We know what they are. We recognize the temptation. It's a sin. And guess what? And we still want to do it, and we continue to do so. That's willful sin. I'm aware of this sin. I'm aware what I'm doing is wrong. Until pretty soon, what happens? You lose the Holy Spirit. Because you can only get it as you're under the uh, covering and the authority of God's way. And the way you know you've, you've, you don't have the Holy Spirit anymore is because you're not convicted of sin anymore. I get drunk now, hey, I'm not convicted of it. I lie now, that's just the way I live now. There's no more conviction in our life. It's a scary place when the Spirit of God has departed our lives. Then there's the sins of of ignorance, you know, it's, a person's not aware that what he, they've done is a sin, though he still desires to do it and follows through with it, but he don't know that it's a sin necessarily. The truth is, though, as believers, we are responsible for both categories. 
This is what I love about 1 John 1, 9. It is a remedy for both types of sins. And I want you to listen to me real close. Once we come before Yahweh and we confess our sins, if we sin, not when we sin, if we sin, if we confess our sins before him, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from what? All. Say all. The beauty of it is this. Not only the sins that we're aware of, but the sins that we're ignorant about. When we come there with a heart before God to get back, I'm back under authority. I'm back under living life your way. You're responsible for me. You're protecting me. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do it your way because I know if I don't, hell's going to break loose in my life one way or another, even if I'm too stupid to see what I'm doing. I'm free now. I'm Okay. Let's say nothing tragic happens in your life. You get to be, you know, somebody, uh, I was talking to this guy the other day. He's 92 years old. He said, man, I'm just blessed to live that long. Are you really? Are you really blessed to live to be 92? I don't know. If that's what he feels, I'm for it. I don't know that I want to be that blessed. I hurt places now. When I cite my known sins and confess my known sins, Yahweh, you know what they are. And if you don't, you're in deep trouble. I, I confess this to you. I screwed up again. I did it again. I tell people, and I've told this my whole life, in ministry, almost. It was harder for me to have the faith to believe that when I sinned, if I confess my sin, that God would forgive me of it. It took more faith for me to believe that than it did than it does to raise a dead person, is what I've always said. Because I just couldn't know why he would forgive me. I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again. But the fact is, I didn't want to do it again, and I didn't want to get, do it again, and I didn't want to do it again. There's the difference. I wanted to confess my sin. I, help me. I'm struggling. Who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? As Paul cried out. After a time, we disrespect God, and we're not really sorry we did it. And we just go to him, oh, forgive me again, you know, and already got plans to do it. But when we say, here it is, help me, then when you confess that, he will forgive you of the sins of ignorance, too. Whether you're conscious to knowledge of the sins of mental or verbal sins or not, we're still responsible for committing them, but through confession. And guess what that means? I'm right there, still under the covering of a God that I know has the power in my life. Because how, does, how can Yahshua forgive me? Because he's been delegated that authority from, Yahshua, from Yahweh, and I can ask him to forgive me, and he does it. Because Yahweh has given him the authority to forgive me. Some of y'all should jump around and say hallelujah. Get Pentecostal right now. Fanny swat right now while you're there. And there's all these sins that we got to deal with. And because, but see, people don't think these are sins. People think, oh, well, hey, I ain't murdered nobody. I ain't raped nobody. I ain't stole no, nothing from nobody. Well, that, that, that may be something different. Most of our sin takes place in our emotional realm where we and our emotional realm will not let us serve God. We, we serve God. We don't serve God because of our emotional realm. We're serving everything else and believing everything else and not even believing Him. You can't please God without faith. And I believe emotional sins deal, are, are related to fear. And it's related to hatred. And those things bring anger, violence, and murder. If you want to go all the way to uh, sins that are taking place literally. But they're also related to self-pity and guilt, too, if, you want to, if, we get, if we're going to get real technical. Then we have these attitude sins of arrogance, pride, jealousy, bitterness, vindictiveness, 
inordinate ambition, inordinate competition, all of which are motivational sins based on sinful thoughts where we're not happy or pleased with what God wants us to be and we're mad about it. We're trying to trans into something else instead of staying in line with the role and the rules that God gave us because that's where he commands a blessing in our life. And you got these sins of ver verbal sins, gossiping, slandering, judging, lying. And then, of course, what? The literal sins or the open sins are things like where you really do murder or you really do steal or, you, or the you know, chemical sins where you're, we're, we're abusing drugs and alcohol and, uh, and sexual sins. But the worst kind of emotional and mental sin, and it always ends up with a verbal sin and then it will eventually wind up with an open sin or one that we actually commit as a self-pity. And self-pity, I believe, is a place where we manufacture Endless miseries in our life. It's from that right there. It's from self-pity and it's over. It's a sick sort of comfort of some melancholy mindset of a distorted human carnal viewpoint way of thinking instead of thinking the way God is because God is the one who designs you and he's the only one that can give you peace and joy and happiness and bless you. People with dysfunctions who in uh, different uh, mindsets. They, they are overly ambitious. They're driven. They got to have more and more. We, the spirit of poverty is on them. They just got to have more. So that's what, you know, my friend got a house like that. I want a house like that. He got two cars. I want a car like that. I'm going to tell you, I'd, I have no desire to keep up with some of the friends I know. They got too much stuff. I think it's got too much stuff. I can't keep up with it. I don't desire to have that many cars or that many this or that many that. But I can live in my, my house under my measure of rule and be more blessed than him even though he may have more stuff because i know stuff don't make you happy solomon knew it i'm gonna close with this right here self-pity is a failure to see that god is at work in your life god is at work in my life y'all hear me i know he is even in the midst of the storm i know god is at work in my life and that's self self-pity says God, God ain't working me. Where's God? He ain't doing nothing for me. Self-pity is failure to make your hope in God a reality. It's funny how the very first sign of any kind of thing that happens, people say, well, I knew it. Where's God now? What did you do? What did you do? This happened. Look, just, can you just be patient and wait? Just wait. Self-pity feels like God's withholding from us. You don't get, why don't you give me that? Why don't you give me this? Why don't I? You know, instead of just waiting. It's failure to wait for God's perfect timing. We just wait on God. Self-pity wants it right now. And where is it? It must not be God. I'm poor. And then you start allowing those dysfunctions and that fallen nature of you begin to feel bad about who you are. What did I do wrong? And why did they do right? And what did this? And I mean, how do you know that, Johnny? I'm preaching my experience today and the Bible. Hey, what? I, I just couldn't take it no more, being afraid that maybe God wasn't watching out for me or God's withholding this. Why, did, why does he got that and I got this and why is that and why is this? I just couldn't live with that no more. You know, why is, why is the church only that big? Why did that happen? I just don't, I, I just can't live there. What about this and there or this and that's it? I can't live there. You know, I know some people who are narcissistic, they, you know, they think they have everything, everybody loves them, all that. Anyhow, I found out that self-pity is just lying to myself because I'm blinded by the emotional distress of my soul. Who are you? Who are you and who do you think you are? 
You ain't this. You can't do that. You know. And now listen, don't get me wrong. There's another side of me that thinks I'm the greatest thing in the world. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's still pride to deal with. But pride can be a response from self-pity. It's a knee-jerk reaction. I'll show you. When it's all said and done, Yahweh has given us a beautiful gift called free will. He's given humans a role called free will. And my life and your life is a matter of choice and option. Of I'm going to serve God or not serve God. And if you're going to serve him, won't you just go ahead and decide you're going to serve him and do it his way. And then you won't have so much to worry about. Most people who start panicking about God are people who've never really made a commitment to come under the authority of God and really do it cheerfully. I mean, you may, you may uh, do it under some kind of duress or deception or something like that. You make good decisions, you make bad decisions, and it all things that you've done in the past. And those are the things that are actually the life that you have now. If you are miserable today, I want to tell you what, that's because of the choices you made. Just the circumstances of your past don't necessarily have the power to dictate your peace and joy. Will you mourn and grieve? Yes. You cry, yes. Will you remember? Yes. Will you all those things? Yes, yes, yes. And I, even though I remember past things, I want to tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm going to forget them in the sense that I'm going to be pressing forward so much in my life. I refuse to allow those things to have a, a precedence or an impact on who I am today. Because you'll just roll around in it and wallow in it, and it is, it is something that will eventually make you miserable. When it goes wrong, I choose God's way. And I'm going to tell you this. And I have every time come out victoriously. But that don't mean I didn't have some bruises and some scrapes and some cuts and some hair pulled out. This is a fight. You understand that? This is a fight. I choose to let God do the things that I can't do. Why are you talking about you, Johnny? Because I know these are real and I want you to be able to have that. Can change to let Yahweh change the things you can't change. I found out if I'm just patient, get under the comfort, the protection, and the safety of my spiritual covering and my spiritual authority, I'll just be patient. He's gonna take care of it. Some people are addicted to despair, so they like indulging in it. That self pity will make you wallow it. And guess what he'll do? Self pity will babysit you free of charge. Well, yeah, poor me. Loneliness or fear uh, come. We, we sink into apathy and we fall in that self-pity. And I want to tell you, I know that the natural life or the natural characteristic of every human being has the potential, not that they do, has the potential to have a woe is me reaction to, to circumstances in our life. But wallowing in self-pity, guys, that's not even normal. It's the chosen thing we do, and we end up in deserved sufferings that you never would have had to deal with had you stayed under the authority of God and trusted God and, and endured till the end. Exodus calls self-pity faithlessness, self-pity in Jonah, lack of compassion. In 1 Kings, a manifestation of fear. And it will grow rapidly when people feed it with their own human doubt, unbelief, depressed uh, viewpoint of human, fallen human nature. And justify doing what they really want to do is, is sin, basically. And they justify their sin. And once they get to that place, guess what they're doing? 
They're making up their own religion. Don't y'all think we got enough religions now? <laughs> Ain't we got enough now? I mean, we don't need, a, we don't need another one of a religions. I read a Bible about a man who I used to think was so great. Again, that's what I thought. You know, I, they put those little flannel board. You remember flannel boards, those cutout pictures, and they hung it on there, and it would stick by static electricity, and they put these pictures of these great Bible heroes, great Bible heroes. When I read the Bible, man, I'm like, am I just weird here? But this, these people aren't that great. And I love the story in 1 Kings 19 about a prophet named Elijah. Man, I wanted to be like Elijah. Man, Elijah was powerful. I read of all the great exploits that he did, you know. Uh, I can just go on and on about him, but especially the one when he called fire out of heaven against the prophets of Baal. Man, he talked so, he was so radical. He was so sarcastic. And they were trying to get fire from heaven from their gods. He's like, where's your God? They're on vacation. What's he, is he in the toilet? What? I mean, just, just rubbing it in their face. I said, man, that's the man of faith that I want to be. Well, I shouldn't have said that. Because I found out that it's easier to call fire out of heaven than it is to get out from under the juniper tree. Because here he was right after destroying the prophets of Baal. How do you think you would feel if you just had a revival service and you call fire down from heaven to prove that Yahweh's real? How would you feel? You know what? If you are like you are now, you probably couldn't enjoy it either. You hear me? There would still be something on what I do wrong. I mean, I don't know. You would have something. Self-pity would get on you. I must have not done that right. Or I must, you know, that, that thing that's in the core of you would overcome the very great thing that just happened. And that's what I'm after in us today. The core of belief. He goes under that juniper tree and had the biggest pity party ever. Preached that message years ago. I, I, you know, I, I, pictured him under that, I pictured him under the juniper tree where the ravens came and fed him, you know. And I called it visions of grand manure instead of grandeur. Because until these kind of things are dealt with, nothing in your life will be fulfilling. You'll make it through. You'll do it. You can exist. You can, you can do But I'm talking about the kind of life that God has for us. <clears throat> so how did he get out of self-pity? Number one, Yahweh told him, get up. Get up. Get up. I've heard coach say this probably maybe a million times. That may not even be an exaggeration. What he say? Rebound, 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 rebound. God's saying to you today, rebound. Huh? You may have shot your shot, but you follow. That's what you always follow your shot, ain't that right, Coach? Follow your shot. Get the rebound, rebound, rebound. Today is the day we've been resetting, we've been recharging, we've been all re everything, right, Joel? But now it's time to rebound. And then he told him, and get up and get moving. What's he talking about? He's talking about abiding and functioning inside the plan of God. Look, do it God's way, and you will get the result if you faint not. So what did Elijah do? He chose, to, he, cho he chose the divine solution rather than the human solution. He decided to obey God's word, got in the plan of God, Stop emoting, living off his feelings and emotions about, you know, poor me, and I've done this. Can't even appreciate fire from heaven. I might could do fire from heaven and, and live off that the rest of my life. I'm the guy with fire from heaven. You hear about me? Self-pity is something that we're going to have to fight because it ain't going to die naturally. It's a spiritual warfare. And you've got to demolish it by the indoctrination of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the man of God in a consistent and systematic basis. In other words, it's got to be hammered into us.
It's important for us to be filled with the Spirit. God bless you.